And I want to begin reading again just to cover the armory beginning in verse 10, although our text this morning is in verse 18. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Did you notice in Ephesians 6 and verse 18 the word that is repeated? What word is that? It is the word all. With all prayer, all times, all perseverance, all the saints. We are to be praying and we are to be on the alert. Be praying, being alert in all aspects of our Christian walk. Now what Paul was doing here as we've seen in previous weeks is that he is looking back and summarizing the themes and theology that has already been mentioned in the book of Ephesians. What we see here in the armor of God, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the Word of God, is the outworking of the revealed mystery that is being expressed by this phrase, putting on. Putting on is a clothing term. Putting on is an armor term. And it is this armor that provides us strength in the Lord and the strength of His mind. We are in warfare. Do you and I really believe that we're at war? Every moment of our Christian life, we are at war, whether you recognize it or not. Typically, we recognize that we are at war when things really heat up. 
when we battle anxieties, when we battle cares, when we battle false ideas and teachings, and this floods in our mind and in our heart, we say, well, we are at warfare. This is the trying of our faith, which is more precious than gold. But the truth is, is that the church of Jesus Christ and its individual members are always engaged in warfare. And as Dr. John Piper has mentioned this phrase in one of his books, he mentioned, he said, do we really have a warfare mentality? Does the church have a warfare mentality? A church that has a warfare mentality isn't really interested in playing games. Why? You don't play games when you're at what? When you're at war. When you're at war, there are sacrifices, aren't there? I think back in, I think it was World War II where people would turn in all kinds of rubber material. They would voluntarily ration their gasoline so that the troops that were at war could have all the things that they need. It wasn't a time for hoarding. It wasn't a time for planning the future, as it were. It was a what? It was a warfare. You talk to the Ukrainians today. Their mindset is different in general than our mindset. Why? They are at their war. And they are constantly alert. I am sure, as I had when many times, I've mentioned this before, we'll have a plane fly over our house and immediately in my mind and in my heart, I recall being in Haifa in Israel and watching the fighter pilots go over our apartment to bomb in Lebanon. My first reaction is, is this war? And I'm sure that in Ukraine, they are alert to every sound and every noise and everything that would indicate maybe there's a drone coming or there's an airplane flying overhead or there's bombs on the way. They are alert. And in warfare, you are prayerful, are you not? In many ways and in many fashions, the church today seems to think it's a time of play. And it's not a time of play. It is a time of war. Do you, do I, really, truly believe that we're at war? Or do we think, well, other people are at war, but I'm not. We are at war. This armor provides our protection. The outworking of God's truth, His peace, His righteousness, His salvation, walking in the Word of God provides us protection. And it is protection, as we read here, verse 11, against the schemes of the devil. The devil is a schemer, is he not? He is the deceitful one. 
And all of this attack is not coming from flesh and blood. It is coming from spiritual wickedness in various realms that is attacking and coming against our inner man. It is a spirit-to-spirit warfare. And brethren, when we walk a worthy walk, we will be attacked. We will be thrust upon. We will be in a position where the enemy is trying to deceive us, to walk into temptation, to fall. There is this intense inner man spiritual struggle, hand-to-hand spiritual warfare, a wrestling that is going on. And even Paul would mention this. Turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. When he was accused, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, when he was accused of walking in the flesh by his detractors, And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the what? To the flesh. Was Paul at war? You and I are at war. We don't walk in the flesh, though we walk in the flesh, in other words, we are in these fleshly bodies, we do not war according to the flesh. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. They are divinely powerful. You see that in verse 4? Divinely powerful to the destruction of fortresses. Well, what do you mean, Paul? Verse 5. We are destroying fortresses of speculations and every lofty thing raised up against what? The knowledge of God. And we are taking thought, every, every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now folks, that's true in our personal life, but that's also true in our evangelism. People are hiding behind their speculations. They have built up their speculative reasonings to embrace a fortress of which they hide behind to avoid the claims of Christ. And we too can have our own speculations, can't we? And we too can walk in our own imaginations. Every thought we have, we are to take captive to truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation and the Word of God. This is a real battle. And not only is this armor protective, but this armor is what gives us the ability to stand firm in Christ. It's what gives us stability. Outside of that is instability. Outside of that is darkness. 
Outside of that is spiritual weakness. But having done all things, we are to what? To stand firm in this warfare. Now, we need to understand that this armor that is protective and enabling is the strengthening in power in our spirit, in our inner man, and it comes to us by the illumination of the knowledge of God. That is very important. We're going to look at this here in just a few minutes. And I'm not reviewing purposefully. I'm reviewing so that we can really come to understand what Paul is meaning when he's talking about that we are to be praying and that we are to be on alert. We must have the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit to illumine the wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of God. This past week I was reviewing some papers and some files that I had and I ran across this quote. There is an illumination divinely bestowed without which theological truth is information and nothing more. Everybody hear that? Because folks, I think God's people can get to the place where they rejoice in having more information rather than the information transforming them. Here's the quote again. There is an illumination divinely bestowed without which theological truth is information and nothing more. While this illumination is never given apart from theology. Never. It is entirely possible to have theology apart from illumination. Can lost people gather together information of theology? The answer to that is yes. But what makes theology alive is the illumination of the Holy Spirit. How do you know when that truth, that information is alive? Because it changes you inside and it strengthens you in your inner man. That's how we know these things. So folks, we really are to be clothed in the mystery that has now been revealed. This revealed mystery is the knowledge in which we are to have illumined understanding of. And it is our strength in the conflict. It gives us boldness. It gives us resoluteness. It gives us stability. It gives us power. It gives us protection in the midst of this present dark world in which we are walking through. It really is an amazing thing. Now that brings us to our verse this morning, and that is verse 18. 
And of course, as we look at this passage, it deals with two things. It deals with our prayer life and our alert spirit. I suppose, this is my estimation, that if the very first thing in the church that is widely confused is the person of the Holy Spirit, I would assume that the thing that would trend very closely to that would be prayer. Most believers do not acknowledge, nor do they believe, that they need to be child-trained in the area of praying. Now think about that just for a moment. Are we to grow up in all things? That means that our prayer life is part of those all things. If I mention the word prayer, I'm sure that you feel like I do. That immediately you feel how weak you are in this area. And how immature you are in this area. I was mentioning to my wife, I think it was this past week, that the thing that really brings to my mind a lot of perplexity is not the act of praying, but it is the content and the approach in what I'm saying to a great king. He is a great king, isn't he? And brethren, you and I both know that if we were to appear before a great king or a great dignity, we would ponder over in our minds what we would say, and how we would say it. And the Scripture has a lot of instruction on those two things. And yet, I think most believers think, okay, praying, well, I know how to pray. I talk to God. But is there not a way to talk to God? Read the Psalms. Are there not ways to talk to God? Are there not ways to approach God on different subjects in our Bible? And yet we feel our weakness and immaturity in this area. This past week, past several weeks, since I finished the 40-day reading through the Bible, I've been going back through the book of Psalms again. My My goal is to really learn how to pray more effectually by going through the Psalms. And I have been struck by how much the prayer life of the psalmist happens upon the first two Psalms in that book. When he prays for his enemies, he is praying for his enemies and against his enemies based on Psalm 2. You understand Psalm 2, you understand why and how David's praying everything that he prays in the succeeding passages. 
And we know that the early church in Acts chapter 4, when they were accosted by enemies, they brought up what psalm? Psalm 2. And it was the basis of what they prayed before the Lord in unity. It was amazing to me to find out, I think it was Psalm 3 or 4, I can't remember which Psalm it was, where David praised the Lord and he says this, Lord, would you consider my meditations in answering this prayer? And Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. In that law he what? He meditates. What David is saying is saying, Lord, you know what I think about, and you know that I am thinking like a Psalm 1 type of man, so Lord, answer my prayers. Have you ever prayed that way? I've never prayed that way. (laughs) I've never prayed, now Lord, answer my prayers because you know how I think. But that's exactly the way David is praying. That's not something we would naturally come to. Would you agree with that? We have to be child trained in this area. And folks, God gives to us a lot of circumstances in which we can become child trained in this area of praying and approaching our great King. There are a lot of books on prayer and they are all written devotionally. There are a lot of books on prayer that talk about little schemes on how to pray. But really, if you were to look for a theology on prayer, you would find scarcely any. It's an amazing thing. We know that Paul tells us that we're to be praying based on the revealed mystery. We know in Romans chapter 8 that we don't know always the details on how we're to pray in every situation, but we do know that all of it deals with this revealed mystery and being conformed into the image of His what? Son, can we pray that way? This is the way Paul's praying. He's giving to us the content and the approach. Now folks, here in this passage in Ephesians 6 verse 18, I could sum up the first half of this passage in this. If we just strip out all the additional adjectives and all the objects and all that, it is this. Be praying in the Spirit. Be praying in the Spirit. Now I'm going to talk here as we conclude the message about what I think that means to be praying in the Spirit. But brethren, we need to understand that everything that comes to us and everything that is reflected from us back to God occurs to a God who has three persons. And this will really help us if we'll get this down. When we're talking about God approaching us, 
It comes in this order. This is an order that is inherent within God. All things flow from God this way. From the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Everybody see that? From the Father, through who? The Son, by who? The Spirit. Now, they're not three gods. These are the relations within the Godhead. There's only how many gods? One God. It comes from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. That order is everywhere in your Bible. If you take creation, God created. God said, there's the Word, the Son. God from God the Father through the Son who is the Word. And the Holy Spirit was hovering over all that created material. The Spirit was the actor, as it were. Now folks, all things flow from God the Father, through God the Son, and by the Spirit. But when it comes to our relationship to God, it is the exact reverse. It is, from our perspective, by the Holy Spirit, through Christ, to the Father. Everybody follow me with that. Okay, That order is the way it is all the time. In John chapter 16, we won't turn there, but he speaks about <clears throat> that they're really not ready to receive all the words that God wanted to give to them, that He wanted to give to them. So He says this, All things are of the Father. The Father has given all things to who? To the Son. And it is the Son who speaks to the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that reveals the words to us. Do you see the order? So folks, the reverse of that is by the Spirit through the Son to the Father. And that is one reason why Paul says we're to be praying with all prayer and petition at all times in the what? In the Spirit. So if we were to broaden that out, and I'm speaking very generically, this isn't comprehensive, but when it comes to the manner of our praying, it is true, and there are other things that the Holy Spirit does for us. He intercedes for us. Aren't you glad for that? 
But when it comes to praying, the Holy Spirit grants to us the fruit of the Spirit. He gives us the desire to pray. He gives to us the motivation to pray. And He gives to us the illumined understanding on what and how to pray. The Son of God, or Christ, or the Word of God, the Son gives to us the content of what we are to pray. He is the Word made flesh, is He not? He is the one mediator between God and man. It's through Him. He gives to us the content of our praying, and He also provides the access. We're here in Ephesians. Go back to chapter 2 and look at verse 18. It says, For through Him, that is Christ, we both, Jew and Gentile, have our access. Access to who? God the, God the Father. Through Him, we both, Jew and Gentile, <clears throat> that is believing Jew and Gentile, we both have our access in, in what? In one Spirit to the Father. That's that same order that we've been looking at. He gives to us the content of what we're to be praying, and the Son gives us access to the Father. And the Father is the recipient of our praying. And of course, He is the one who what? Answers according to His will. Everybody see that? Okay. So if we reverse that, God the Father, He reveals to us His will. Amen? This is this revealed will. It comes to us through the Son. He's providing the content and the knowledge of God the Father. And it is energized and worked in us by the Holy Spirit who illumines that content. Giving to us strength in our inner man and the ability to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. This is true in everything. Now that, I think, helps us lay some groundwork and some introduction when it comes to Ephesians 6 and verse 18 when we're talking about praying in the Spirit. I want to give a little bit more introductory material. In verse 18, I've already mentioned this, there are two participles here in this verse. Now you've noted the participles already, if you look at verse 14, stand, therefore, stand firm therefore, having girded. Verse 15, having shod. Verse 14 again, having put on. Verse 16, taking up. We've seen the participles before, haven't we? 
And Paul again in verse 18 gives us two more participles. Be praying, being alert. Now there is debate, and I don't know where you stand on this, there is debate on whether prayer is part of the armor or not. So I'm just going to ask you, don't answer out loud, but answer in your heart. Do you believe that prayer is part of the armor? Do you believe that praying takes priority over the other pieces of the armor? There are commentators who think that way. Let me give you some of my considerations about this. Number one, there are two participles given, not not just praying. Everybody see that? Two participles, be praying and being alert. In other words, it's not just praying. There's two participles here. So I want to ask you, do you think that being alert is part of the armor? Just answer in your heart. Because there are two participles. Praying and alertness. Number two. These two things, be praying and being alert, are not directly spoken of as a weapon. And number three, they are not directly identified with any particular weapon. Such as, if you take salvation, you're to take up the what of salvation? The helmet of salvation. Everybody see that? Or if you were to take up the breastplate of righteousness, it's identified, righteousness is identified in this context with a particular piece of the what? Of armor. Or if you would say, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There's nothing here that says, now, with all prayer and petition, take up the sword of prayer, or take up the breastplate of prayer, or gird your loins with what? Prayer. Everybody everybody follow me on this. And, if you want to know what verse 18 is directly identified with, it is directly identified with verse 19, and that is the church praying for who? For Paul. In verses 19 and 20, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given me in the opening up of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So in conclusion, I'm not sure that to be praying and to being alert is part of the armor. 
Now, if you say to me that you do believe that it's part of the armor, I don't think it really matters in our understanding of the passage. Other than this, we should not elevate prayer over the other aspects of the armor. Everybody, everybody follow me with that. In other words, because of our piety, rightly so, we tend to elevate praying over walking in truth or walking in righteousness or being able to handle the Word of God effectually. Everybody following me? But Paul doesn't do that, and I don't think the New Testament does that. That's not to disregard praying. That's to adjust our thinking about this. Paul doesn't elevate it over the armory, and if it is part of the armory, it's just one of the other pieces that are there. Now I want to conclude this morning, and then I want to finish it out this afternoon. The command, the participle, to be praying in the Spirit. And you'll notice here, be praying at all times in the Spirit, be praying with all prayer and petition in the Spirit, be praying in the Spirit. What does that mean? And we saw, if we turn back to Jude, which was our Scripture reading, we saw that in that passage that we read for our Scripture reading this morning, this only other time it refers directly and explicitly to praying in the Spirit. In Jude... And in verse 20, he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. That's one participle. Building. Secondly, praying in the Holy Spirit. Everybody see that? Praying in the Holy Spirit. And then the third participle is in verse 21, keeping yourselves in the love of God. So here's these things that we need to be doing. We need to be praying in the Spirit. Now folks, when we're talking about praying in the Spirit, we are not talking about some mystical taking over of our faculties. There are all kinds of misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in our faculties. In other words, if the Holy Spirit gives me a motivation to pray, everybody following me? It is my being motivated to pray. I would express it this way. I'm motivated to pray, let's pray. Where did that motivation come from? The Spirit of God. It's not some mystical overtaking of our faculties. It's not, you know, being lifted up into some kind of vision or some kind of ephorial experience. Now you might have, I wouldn't say vision, but you might have all kinds of feeling type experiences. We are physical beings. But this is not what this passage is talking about. 
When we're talking about praying in the Spirit, what we're talking about is praying in agreement and on behalf of the will of God. That will of God, as it's given in the book of Ephesians, is the revealed mystery. And folks, Paul's prayer life is our model in this. Now go back to Ephesians 1. And let's just look at that model. In verse 18, excuse me, in verse 17, Paul is making mention of you in his prayers. He's writing down this prayer not only to inform us of what he's praying for, but to give us an example on what it means to what? To be praying in the in the Spirit. Everybody following me with this? Okay. The only way that we learn how to pray is by seeing a model of it. In churches, many people have certain cliches like they'll say, Oh Lord, hide the pastor behind the cross. You ever heard that being prayed? Where did they learn that from? They learn it in the Bible? Just shake your head no. Where do they learn it from? They learned it because they heard someone else what? They heard someone else pray it. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying we learn as we hear people pray. But folks, the model that we need to hear is the model prayers as given in our Bible. We can hear David pray. We can hear Paul pray. We can hear the Apostle John pray. We even can hear Christ pray. Can't we? They're all the model for how we are to pray and the content of what we are to be praying. And so this is why I say that to be praying in the Spirit is to be praying in agreement and on behalf of the will of God, this revealed mystery. Now why do I say that it is praying in agreement and on behalf of the will of God? Because of what I've already given us. When it comes to the Holy Spirit and it comes to the Word of God, they're one. Remember what I said about illumination. We're illumined in conjunction with theology. The Holy Spirit and the Word work in union. I can mention what I've already mentioned before, John 16. The Father's given all things to the Son. The all things there are the words that God the Father wants us to know. He gives it to the Son. 
John 16 says that the Son speaks to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what? Reveals it to us. Wrote it down by inspiration through the apostles and illumines us to those words. They are used together, just like this epistle. Grace comes to us. Who's delivering the grace? It's from God the Father and His Son, and we know it comes to us by His Spirit. He's working through the Word of God. The Word and the Spirit are in union in this. In other words, the Word of God acts by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God moves by the Word of God. They're together. Folks, when we are regenerated, we are regenerated how? What did Jesus say in John 3? When Nicodemus said, well, how are we born from above? He said, the Spirit. Okay, but we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's God the Father giving the Word through the Son by the Spirit. And folks, they're not three gods. They're what? It's one God. They're all acting in union. The Word and the Spirit are in union and the Word acts by the Spirit and the Spirit moves by the Word. That's why doctrine and illumination are joined at the hip. Everybody follow me with this? If they're not, then all you get is information. But when the Holy Spirit illumines our understanding, He illumines our understanding through the knowledge of God the Father that comes to us through the Son. Let me give you another example of this union. We won't turn there for lack of time, but 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. You know this passage. <clears throat> All Scripture... Scripture is the, the Word, right? All Scripture is God-breathed. What is the breath of God? It's the Spirit of God, right? All Scripture is God-breathed by God. And it is profitable for us. So that the man of God or the believer may be adequate for every good what? Every good work. So folks, when we're talking about, in Ephesians 6, when we're talking about praying, we are to be praying. We're to be praying at all times, with all prayer and petition, in the Spirit of God. 
And what that is, is praying in agreement and on behalf of the will of God. Now that really should not shock you. (laughs) Why? Because we've already been through this passage where, you know, we're to be submitting one to another and that deals with the revealed mystery. Husbands are to be teaching their wives the revealed mystery. They're to be sanctified by the washing of the water of the Word. They're sanctified. We're sanctified by truth. Truth is what the Holy Spirit does to conform us into the image of Christ. Children are to obey their parents in all things. As their parents instruct them in this revealed mystery, they are to obey it. And it goes all the way down the line. In other words, the aim of every believer is conformity into the image of Christ. And the aim of every family is conformity into the image of Christ. And the aim of every church is is conformity in the image of Christ. So folks, wouldn't it make sense that if that is our aim and our passion and our purpose, we would be praying in agreement with that. And that would be praying in the Spirit of God. Now I want to ask you, and I'm closing, do you pray that way? Do you, when there is a circumstance, and I almost hate to say when there's a circumstance, because we're surrounded in a warfare, right? Do you seek the knowledge of God about that situation to the best of your ability, to the best of your maturity, and then Pray that to God about the situation. And folks, that doesn't mean you can't give God your opinion about it. Let me give you this example. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of who? So tell me, not out loud, but tell me, what did Paul pray? He prayed three times. What? That it would be taken away. Wouldn't you? Now let me ask you this. What was the Holy Spirit praying? What was the Holy Spirit praying? He would be praying in agreement with God's revealed mystery. What's the Holy Spirit praying? He's praying this, that Paul would be strengthened in his inner man because the thorn needed to be remain to keep him from pride. Was the Holy Spirit correct in his intercession? The correct answer is yes. And did Paul 
Did Paul give his opinion about the thorn? Yes. But the correct thing to pray for Paul would be for God to show his strength in his weakness. Now, could could God had removed the thorn? Absolutely. So don't think that praying for the thorn is like wrong. It's just Paul didn't know what to pray. But the correct thing was prayed. And it was in agreement with God's goal that Paul would stand before him in holiness and blamelessness in that day. That Paul would not fall in his pride. And folks, we don't really know all the details. Like Paul did not know the the detail on what to pray about that thorn. But we do know God's overall aim. We do know God's overall purposes. We do know God wants the fruit of the Spirit in our life. We do know that He wants us to be conformed in the image of His Son. We know all those things, do we not? But how often is the majority of our prayer our own speculations? And I would dare say that in all, in all, myself included, there is way too much praying speculatively. And far less praying in agreement with the will of God. Church, you must be praying in the Spirit. Let's pray together.